0: Good evening, my name is Martin Webb, and you're tuned to The Climate Report, which airs every second and fourth Thursday on KVMR-FM. Archives can be found at our podcast page. Today's show, we're going to cover some of the major news headlines that are being reported elsewhere, and then of course we're going to end with ways that people can make a difference when it comes to personal action. Some of the major news media is already reporting on some of these so oftentimes we tend to skip the big stories knowing that everyone's going to report on them but just in case you haven't uh, heard or it won't be covered elsewhere California lawmakers have just passed a groundbreaking, groundbreaking greenhouse gas emissions disclosure bill It passed an assembly vote on Monday passed a senate vote on Tuesday heading to Governor uh, Gavin Newsom, it would require large U.S.-based companies doing business in the Golden State to publicly disclose their annual greenhouse gas emissions. This is the first such requirement in the nation. Um, This could be thought of uh, perhaps sort of like with ingredients listing. You know, if you're going to sell a product, then we need to have all the ingredients listed. Um, This is basically saying that any company of a certain size has to list all of the emissions ingredients associated with their company and this is from a report in the los angeles times it says supporters of the bill called the climate corporate data accountability act say the legislation is aimed at discouraging corporate greenwashing or marketing that falsely portrays a company's efforts to reduce climate warming emissions the bill would require the california air resources board to adopt regulations within the next couple of years that mandate both private and public companies who have more than one billion dollars in annual revenues to begin publicly disclosing their emissions across what are called three scopes of emissions, and uh, we'll describe those in just a second. But um, there are different types of emissions associated with um, our, ourselves, and then the emissions indirectly associated with us. Um, you know, when we're asking people to deliver and make things, um, those emissions are also associated with our lifestyle, even though they don't come directly from our house. So. Um, The reporting will force them to cover all sorts of emissions, and the requirements would apply to an estimated 5,400 different companies, including Walmart, Apple, ExxonMobil, and Chevron. The bill is actually a revival of one that passed the Senate last year but was killed in the Assembly by one vote. And with California being the fifth largest economy in the world, advocates are hopeful the legislation could reach beyond the state's borders by forcing some of the world's biggest companies to disclose their emissions transparently and incentivizing other states and countries to adopt similar climate laws. So under the proposed law, what are called Scope 1 emissions are defined as direct greenhouse gas emissions from a company's own branches, its own factories, its own buildings, direct greenhouse gas emissions from their own operations. But then they have a different scope too, which includes indirect emissions from electricity bought by the company. And then scope three emissions are from the company's supply chain. That includes anything associated with their operations that creates emissions elsewhere. That's waste, water usage, business travel, and even employee um, commutes. These scope three emissions account typically for about 75% of a company's greenhouse gas emissions for many industries so it's something that sometimes comes up in greenwashing and you'll hear that in reporting that um, there might be a company reducing their um, electricity use on site they might be solar powered at their warehouses which is a fantastic thing to hear as far as green energy but then they might not address the bulk of emissions associated with doing business which is all of the emissions that they ask their vendors and associated employees um, to create in order to help run their business. Now, the measure was backed by more than a dozen major corporations, including IKEA, Microsoft, Patagonia, REI, Dignity Health, and the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. They said in a joint letter to lawmakers, we know that consistent, comparable, and reliable emissions data at scale is necessary to fully assess the global economy's risk exposure, and to navigate the path to a net zero future. This law would break new ground on ambitious climate policy and would allow the largest economic actors to fully understand and mitigate their harmful greenhouse gas emissions. One thing to note as an aside is the companies that were supporting this are oftentimes the companies that are legitimately doing reductions and um, correctly advertising that they are taking green steps they're unhappy that other industries are falsely claiming that they are making reductions. And so they're they're saying this will level the playing field. We'll actually see the skeletons in the closet, who has emissions and who doesn't. Um, Apple recently joined and supported last minute, writing in a letter that it is strongly supportive of climate disclosures to improve transparency and drive progress in the fight against climate change. Now, To hear some of the other side, the LA Times uh, article continues to say the opponents of the bill, include the California Chamber of Commerce, say that emissions reporting is more of an art than a science, and they worried that these sorts of complications for California businesses would give out-of-state businesses an unfair advantage over California-based corporations. They also questioned whether the California Air Resources Board even has the authority to regulate out-of-state companies who are bringing goods to California. Because that's what this would address if you're doing $1 billion worth of business in California. It's not you have to be located in California. It's if you're doing a $1 billion or more in business. So um, the opponents were saying they don't even have the ability to regulate out-of-state companies that are bringing goods in. And lastly, opponents worried that small and medium-sized businesses could bear the financial burden of the bill secretly and that it wouldn't necessarily create any uh, problem for the big companies even though that's who it's targeted for instead it would actually create a problem for all the small companies that are working to support the big companies the bill's author tried to dispute the last concern that it would really be small and medium-sized businesses that would have to pay for this the bill's author emphasized that it only applies to billion-dollar corporations and would have no impact on the small businesses that supply them. But Southern Cal Gas and San Diego Gas and Electric opposed the bill, saying it actually would impose a new and potentially insurmountable cost on the hundreds of diverse business enterprises that they work with by requiring all of these smaller businesses to report on their Scope 3 indirect emissions created on behalf of the billion-dollar company in order to support the billion-dollar gas company's compliance with the law. So again, the billion dollar companies are expected to report on the emissions of all their suppliers. That means their suppliers are going to have to figure out how to gather and report their emissions, and there will be some sort of cost associated with that. Well, they closed by saying the state bill could be a first step in the nation towards satiating the public's appetite for corporate climate disclosures and clarity on who's greenwashing and who's not. A 2021 survey of Americans found that 87% of Americans believe it's important. For corporations to be transparent about their climate impacts and just last year some 530 major financial investors representing almost 39 trillion dollars in assets that are under management urged governments around the world to implement policies just like this because it would help them figure out how to best support actual large-scale zero emissions investments and not be hoodwinked themselves so uh, that should be signed by the governor here shortly. Landmark bill that will likely end up in court, as most landmark bills do. And other major news that you likely have heard about, uh, there's a new report on the conditions on Earth may be moving outside of what's called the safe operating space for humanity, according to dozens of scientists. They say human actions have pushed the world into the danger zone on several key indicators of planetary health. Threatening to trigger dramatic changes in conditions on Earth. This is according to a new analysis from 28 scientists in eight countries. The scientists analyzed nine interlinked planetary boundaries that they set, nine separate boundaries, which they define as thresholds that the world needs to stay within in order to ensure a stable, livable planet. These planetary boundaries and thresholds include climate change thresholds, biodiversity, fresh water, land use. And the impact of synthetic chemicals and aerosols they say that human activities have now breached safe levels for six of these nine boundaries and are pushing the world outside a safe operating space for humanity according to the report which was published on wednesday in the journal science advances these nine boundaries were first set out in a 2009 paper and they aim to establish a set of somewhat scientifically defined limits on the changes humans are making to the planet, from pumping out planet-heating pollution to clearing forests for farming. And beyond these limits, the theory goes, the risk of destabilizing conditions on Earth increases dramatically. Now, what's interesting to note is that the limits are designed to be conservative. So the alarm bells might ring a little bit earlier than need be, but that's on purpose because they say that's designed to enable society to solve the problems before reaching a very high-risk zone. That's according to Katherine Richardson, a professor in biological oceanography at the University of Copenhagen and a co-author on the report. So again, they've set these nine boundaries. We've gone past six of them. And we're headed in the wrong direction, but they're saying we intentionally have set these to be conservative thresholds so that we would buy ourselves some time to make the needed changes. She pointed to the unprecedented summer of extreme weather the world has just experienced at 1.2 degrees celsius of global warming she said we didn't even think it was going to be like this at one degree no human has ever experienced the conditions that we're experiencing right now she added and if you're a regular listener to the climate report you know the science has shown that there's never been this much carbon in the atmosphere um, since three million years ago and modern humanity is just within the last uh, 10,000 or so modern civilization so of the three boundaries though that scientists found are still within a safe space of the three because there were nine we're past six of nine and there are three left they said two of them are moving in the wrong direction that's ocean acidification and the amount of aerosols in the atmosphere so two of the three were heading in the wrong direction towards crossing those but there is some good news the ninth the ozone layer was on the wrong side of the boundary in the 90s richardson said but thanks to international cooperation to phase out ozone depleting chemicals It is on track to recover completely. Now, Richardson said uh, crossing planetary boundaries does not mean the world has reached a disastrous tipping point. Hitting one does not mean falling off a cliff. It's intended to be just a clear warning signal. And uh, she uses a bank account analogy here that I like to use myself when I'm communicating around the climate. She says uh, she used the analogy of a bank account where the currency is not money, but rather the Earth's resources, which humans, like all living organisms, use to survive. As humanity crosses planetary boundaries, our bank balance of what we're taking out of the earth is going down. She said we can party, even though our money in the bank is getting less, we just can't party forever. That's the situation that we've brought ourselves into. The significance of the planetary boundaries model is that it doesn't analyze climate and biodiversity separately in isolation the report authors said so a lot of research studies just look at one thing separately in a vacuum and it's important to look at how all of these things are interrelated because that is one of the biggest unknowns in climate forecasting and predictions is how are all of these interrelated tipping points going to impact each other so instead of doing that in isolation this report looks at the interaction of all of this both climate and biodiversity as well as a host of other ways humans are affecting the planet Reaching one boundary is likely to have knock-on effects for others. Raising the world's forests, for example, has huge climate impacts. Richardson said, We most likely cannot achieve the climate goals that the international community has adopted without at the same time respecting a limit for deforestation. Simon Lewis, a professor of global change science at University College London in the UK, who is not involved in the research, said the report provides a strikingly glooming update an already alarming picture. He told CNN, humans are destroying biodiversity, changing the climate and polluting our home to such an extent that we've pushed our planet out of the stable conditions that enabled human civilizations to emerge. It couldn't be a more stark warning. And Andrew Fanning, a visiting research fellow at the University of Leeds in the UK, also not involved in the report, said the planetary boundaries model provides strong evidence-based support to policymakers and others to help transform economies and societies and our lives to tackle the climate crisis this report is actually the third update on the planetary boundaries framework the previous was published in 2005 and uh, the article here in cnn ends by saying uh, from richardson what scares me is that the uh, transgression is increasing for all of the boundaries that were found to be transgressed at the last report uh, she added this isn't getting better okay some bright spots Um, You may have heard also as well that the United States is launching a $1 billion tree planting scheme to mitigate the effects of the climate crisis. And again, if you're a regular listener of the Climate Report, you know that we put a lot of focus on those types of uh, solutions that are quick, easy. They don't require fancy technology financing. Um, It's working with nature in many cases that does the most good. So this is uh, interesting news here. Their federal effort will focus on marginalized areas in all parts of the country, so putting trees where there aren't trees, um, and aims to reduce extreme heat and benefit health. That's right. According to the Associated Press here, it says hundreds of communities around the U.S. will share more than $1 billion in federal money to help them plant and maintain trees under a federal program that is intended to reduce extreme heat, benefit health, and improve access to nature. The U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack um, we'll announce the $1.13 billion in funding uh, today in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It will fund 385 projects around the country. The tree planting efforts will be focused on marginalized areas in all 50 states, as well as Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and some tribal nations. Um, Vilsack told reporters in previewing his announcement, we believe we can create more resilient communities in terms of the impacts of climate we think we can mitigate extreme heat incidents and events in many of the cities Um, so for example in announcing the grants in Cedar Rapids Vilsack will spotlight the eastern Iowa city of 135,000 people that lost thousands of trees during an extreme windstorm back during the COVID shutdown in the summer of 2020 Cedar Rapids, Rapids has made the restoration of its tree canopy a priority since that storm And will receive six million dollars in funding through the grants other grant recipients include some of the nation's largest cities such as new york houston and la as well as smaller communities in florida kansas Um, so everyone should have access to nature according to a spokesperson um, for the white house council on environmental quality urban forests can play a key role in ensuring both access uh, and to increasing resilience for uh, climate resilience to communities helping reduce extreme heat And making communities more livable all this federal money the one billion dollars for trees comes from the inflation reduction act okay some other quick headlines and then uh, we'll hit some of the things that uh, latest research on actions that individuals can take here's some interesting somewhat contradictory headlines Um, there was one headline that says it's the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era according to the international energy um, administration that's the united nations Arm that tracks all energy use all around the world that's supposed to be impartial from the UN. And they say that the beginning of the end of fossil fuel era is approaching. Uh, meanwhile, another headline uh, concurrent to that says the World Bank spent billions of dollars backing fossil fuels and that the United States is behind more than a third of global oil and gas expansion. So while you might hear about fights over drilling here in the United States on our own lands, um, the US is actually behind more than a third of. Of global oil and gas expansion um, when the UN and all sciences said we need to shut them uh, fossil fuel production down. So that's either uh, US firms expanding around the world or financial investments uh, from the US spurring it around the world or even federal government incentives that we as taxpayers pay to help support that. So the US is behind more than a third of the expansion of global oil and gas meanwhile um in uh you know some sort of cognitive diff- dissonance that we live in here in the united states alongside that was the headline that the u.s has set a new record for billion dollar climate disasters in a single year well, there the last record for number of billion dollar disasters was a couple of years ago and we've already exceeded that um, and the year isn't over so more billion dollar climate disasters than ever um, we're behind a third of the global oil and gas expansion the world bank is spending dollars billions of dollars backing fossil fuels but the iea at the un un is saying it's the beginning of the end so someone tell those folks okay so now here's the part of the show where uh, yeah you've got the news you know what's happening you get the gist you're paying attention you're you're listening the climate report so what are some of the things um that we are seeing people could do and um this is one of the things i want to talk about because this illustrates the complexity of enacting Legislation like the Inflation Reduction Act, it, it's offering a bunch of rebates to make homes more efficient. It's offering rebates to help homes electrify and change their appliances. Those are two different subjects. Efficiency means getting your home to use less energy. So for having the same comfort and being happy and, and safe um, and uh, and having a healthy home environment, but using less energy, that's efficiency. At the same time, there's a move to electrify everything so that we stop using fossil fuels and a lot of that's uh, swapping out appliances so hey the IRA was passed how can I get rebates I'm going to describe to you the challenges and the bureaucratic steps it takes to get money down into our wallets so this is from the building performance association this is a 10 key takeaways from the Department of Energy's new guidelines that they just issued for some of these rebates so Um, This is federal money that's going to be given to states, and then the states are expected to disseminate it, and they haven't been able to uh, do that until they had guidelines, and these are some of the guidelines, and it's going to focus on two new rebate programs from the Inflation Reduction Act that everyone should know about. Um, If you're a regular listener, again, you know that recently there was research done that showed uh, overwhelmingly most Americans have no clue about the IRA. And that when explained to, it, uh, it, to them, uh, only about a fourth felt like it still had value to them. So not enough people know about this. And so that's why we're going to communicate it. We're going to talk about the two new rebate programs, which offer many opportunities to homeowners and contractors in HVAC solar and home performance. Um, so it's fascinating. There are going to be all sorts of details that people need to know about. And, uh, and this is the complexity of political solutions and uh, bureaucratic solutions, which are valuable and have their place, uh, but we also talk about immediate personal things people can do. So it's a dense 100-page document. The Department of Energy recently released its highly anticipated guidelines for all 50 states to use in designing their rebate programs under this IRA funding. The two programs are home efficiency rebates, and then home electrification rebates, two separate programs. So here are 10 takeaways from these new guidelines. Number one, all states must establish a qualified contractor list. That's right. You can't just call up anybody to get some work done and then get a rebate. This might be one of the most important takeaways from the IRA state guidelines for contractors. States must create and maintain a list of contractors separately for each of the two rebate programs, some that specialize in efficiency, and some that specialize in electrification. However, the DOE, and if I say the DOA, that's the Department of Energy, the DOE did not give specific qualifications that contractors will have to meet to be listed, and each state will ultimately determine that criteria. So you could have completely different criteria in all 50 states. The DOE, the federal government, just said you're going to have to come up with a list of qualified contractors who will qualify for these rebates for property owners, but um, come up with your own qualifications. We're not going to tell you what those are the states will have a a way to quick start option uh to get funding in people's hands if there are states who already have existing incentive programs they can just take this money and um and put it in the bank account so to speak for existing programs they don't have to create a whole new thing states like california who already have strong efficiency incentive programs will likely move forward with that type of option otherwise other states that don't have anything comparable in place we'll end up having to create brand new programs from scratch. And that could take some time before homeowners in those states can see some money. So in California, we're ahead of the curve. We should be able to see this rebate money. Um, And then what's interesting is, will any states opt out of IRA rebates? And unfortunately, it says we don't know what states plan to apply for rebate program money, while some states like Florida have announced that they do not intend to accept any IRA funding. That's right. This IRA bill was passed to provide climate uh, solutions and help with financing rebates and tax credits for the citizens of America. But in the state of Florida, they said, we don't want any of that. And they've announced that they will not accept any of that. So their citizens will have... uh, It says that doesn't mean the door is completely closed for contractors uh, because the states have until January 2025 to apply for the funding. So if they change their mind... Um, funds will be available for them. But if states do not apply for any of this money by that deadline of early 2025, their funds will be redistributed to the states that have applied. So if Florida says we don't want that money, well, that's fine. Then we'll split it up against the other 49. Um, also, when it comes to uh, equity and justice, there are big low income carve outs. DOE guidelines require that both rebate programs for improving home efficiency as well as electrifying them allocate a significant portion of this funding towards low income households so uh, that's an important part of it is uh, you know we're not going to tell you all the details about how you have to do your programs but here are the some of the things you have to do and a significant portion of it must go to low income and then an interesting thing is uh, they're saying that contractors so imagine that you're a homeowner and you want to get a rebate for some work done there are two different ways to verify that you got what you paid for one is a contractor can just use a bunch of software at the beginning and say yeah it's probably going to do this And then it will be studied afterwards. Uh, There are other ways, though, where the contractor will have to sit there and measure your performance. And they're saying that um, that could make things complicated for the application process. Do you just use fancy formulas? Do you use data? They don't want people to get things installed that actually don't make a difference. So they say that both rebate programs will require an assessment prior to the upgrades being made. And then there will have to be third-party assessments afterwards to prove... That they actually got what they said um, so third-party verification is going to be required for anyone that wants a rebate uh, for home efficiency and energy star is going to be required for any appliances or mechanical equipment and some of these rebates can be paid directly to the contractor so um, it lowers that upfront cost so you can see that there's a whole bunch of issues when it comes to rolling out these types of things that's why There are also solutions like what would happen if the world cut meat and milk consumption in half agricultural emissions would fall by almost a third and again some of these things are uh, policies that we can enact immediately for our own selves sometimes it's not necessarily just what we're driving the research shows that if we don't change our food consumption we still will blow past the 1.5 degrees celsius mark that science has said so that's an easy immediate thing that can happen and this is an interesting article Uh, that I found in Grist. It says, cows are often described as climate change criminals because of how much planet warming methane they burp. But there's another problem with livestock farming that's even worse for the climate and easier to overlook. To feed the world's growing appetite for meat, corporations and ranchers are chopping down more forests and trampling more carbon sequestering grasslands to make room for pastures and fields of hay. Ruminants, like cattle, sheep, and goats, not only create a lot of methane and not only Do they end up knocking down a bunch of trees in many places but they need a lot of space to graze and animal feed then also needs additional space to grow and the greenhouse gases unleashed by this deforestation and land degradation mean food systems account for one-third of the world's climate pollution one-third of our carbon emissions and what's contributing to this are related to our food systems and that's why we highlight these solutions a lot here on the climate report because it is fast and is easy. And what they're talking about here is not even going vegan and eliminating. It's just what if we cut that in half and what a huge difference it would make. Now it says environmental advocates have long argued that there's a straightforward solution to this mess, eat less meat. Convincing more people to become vegetarians is a very effective way to limit emissions. Now Getting rid of meat is one question out of your diet, but replacing it with something uh, equally helpful and nutritious is another issue. And this paper published on Tuesday seeks to address both, finding that giving up meat in in favor of meat-like plant products would yield significant benefits for the climate, biodiversity, and even food security in coming decades. Swapping 50% of the world's beef, chicken, pork, and milk consumption with plant alternatives by mid-century could effectively halt the ecological destruction associated with farming. This is according to the study in Nature Communications. So um, they say there's evidence to show if we don't shift our diets, then we will not meet the targets set out for us by 2030, 2050, or 2100. Um, So it was interesting to see that, again, they continue to say that um, that is the direction that people can make immediate shifts, and an immediate change is um, lowering that meat consumption and finding plant-based alternatives for that. Um, one of the lead authors says it was interesting to see how powerful this dietary change can be and to see all these impacts across the spectrum of sustainability outcomes or objectives and um, they pointed to areas where things are already changing uh, getting public schools prisons and other institutes to substitute meat adding labels to food products to indicate their carbon footprints and increasing public funding for research and development of alternative proteins Well, we're going to have to save this last one for uh, next time when we are back um, for our uh, second show in September. We're always here the second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I have some tips on cutting down with water use and um, all of the easy low-hanging fruit associated with that. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the Climate Report. My name is Martin Webb. We're here the second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. And you can always find our shows archived and shareable and re-listenable at the podcast page at kvmr.org.